All right, well, good morning. Take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel 25. 1 Samuel 25. And as we think about the idea of folly and wisdom, and as it is portrayed in this chapter, it causes us to realize that at different times in each of our lives, there have been times where we have demonstrated folly, and hopefully we have demonstrated some sort of wisdom as well. And this chapter really helps us to think through um, why we should pursue wisdom. And as we think about what is wisdom, wisdom really is walking by faith. Wisdom really is just walking by faith, following God with the next step of obedience and doing what you know is right to do because of God's word. And as we work our way through this passage, we see that wisdom yields vindication from God, while folly yields judgment from God. Wisdom yields vindication because the person is walking by faith. God cares for them. And as we work our way through this passage, it's, it's really important for us to remember what has just happened in chapter 24 and what is going to happen in chapter 26. If you still have your notes or if you maybe really remember really well from last week, you remember that God vindicates those who follow him, his faithful servants. God vindicates them. And that is really the big idea that you see as David and Saul interact in that cave. And David's initial response is he goes and he cuts off the edge of Saul's robe. And what does he do? He says, I have sinned against the Lord's anointed. I should not have done that. And as Saul leaves the cave, David comes out of the cave. He bows down. He calls him my Lord. He calls him the Lord's anointed. He calls him my father. And he says, I did something wrong against you. I shouldn't have done that. Well, he actually tells his men that. But he, he tells Saul, hey, look, I'm not trying to look for bad things to do for you. If I wanted to do bad things to you, I could have killed you in the cave. And I'm not looking for judgment that comes from my hands because there's a higher judge and that higher judge is God. I'm going to commit this situation into his hands and he will vindicate me. He will declare me righteous and you evil. And Saul acknowledges and says, yeah, actually you're right. I'm an evil person and you are righteous because you have rewarded me with good while I have rewarded you with evil. And the same idea comes up once again here. And David has been once again treated wrongly in this passage, and his initial response is not wisdom. His initial response is just like his initial reaction in chapter 24. In chapter 24, what does he do? He cuts off Saul's garment, the very edge of it. And his initial reaction here is an initial reaction of folly of failing to pursue obedience and faithfulness to God. And as he does that, it goes bad for him. Okay, And wisdom comes and speaks to him. And as wisdom comes in the form of Abigail and speaks to him and instructs him, he says, that would have been wrong, that would have been sin. I should not pursue that. And instead, I'm going to pursue God's vindication. And it comes down to I'm going to choose to walk by faith and think that 
God will do what is right. Nabal has been stupid and foolish in this passage, but I'm going to choose to yield to wisdom, and as I do, it yields God's vindication. And as I choose to yield to folly and my own understanding, my own ability, it brings about judgment. And you'll see that as we work our way through this passage. 1 Samuel 25. If you would take your Bibles and let's read the passage. Then Samuel died, and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. And the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all you have. Now I have heard that you have shears. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them. Nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hands, to your servants, and to your son, David. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away from each one from his master. Shall I break away? Or shall I then take my bread from my and my water and my meat that I have killed from my shears and give it to men whom, when I do not know where they are from? So David's young men turned on their heels and went back. They came and told him all these words. Then David said to his men, Every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet your ma our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them. When we were in the fields, they were a wall to us, both by night and day, all the time we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore, know and consider what you will do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took two hundred loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five seals of roasted grain, and one hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. And she said to her servants, Go on before me, see, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So it was as she rode on the donkeys that she went down under cover of the hill, and there were David and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing has missed was missed of all that belongs to him. And he has repaid me evil for good. 
May God do so and more also to the enemies of David if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. Now when Ab Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. So she fell at his feet and said, O oh my Lord, on me let this iniquity be, and please let your maidservant speak in your hear, ear and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard the scoundrel Nabal, for as his name, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservants, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life, but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God and the lives of your enemies. He shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling, and it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for me, my Lord, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you, nor offense of hearts to my Lord, neither that you have shed blood without cause, or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dwelt, dealt well with you, then remember your maidservant. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Why? And blessed is your advice, and blessed are you, because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as Lord God of Israel lives, you have kept me from kept me back from hurting you unless you had hurried and come to me. Surely by morning light no males would have left been left in Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought and said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. Now Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was, holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him. For he was very drunk. Therefore she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light. So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal, and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became like a stone. Then it happened after about ten days that the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. So when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal, and has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her, saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. Then she arose, bowed her face to the earth, and said, Here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. So Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey, attended by five of her maidservants. And she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, so both of them were his wives. 
but Saul had been given had given Michael his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galio. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for this passage. We thank you for what it teaches us. We pray that we would be people who pursue wisdom, that pursue living by faith and obedience to you, and that as we do so, that you would vindicate those who pursue wisdom, and that you would judge those who pursue folly and their own understanding and their own way in this life. In your name we pray. Amen. The passage begins and it really portrays folly and then wisdom is portrayed and then it tells us that God's servants choose wisdom and then it shows us what the reward for each walk of life is. Folly is shown to us. Wisdom is shown to us. God's servants choose wisdom, and God rewards both with what is just and with what is right. Folly displayed, and folly is really epitomized or displayed in the character of Nabal. He is the epitome of folly, of foolishness. His name probably isn't really Nabal. It probably was something that sounded like Nabal or looked like Nabal when it was written. And the story has changed his name to actually make his name be Nabal, which means fool. Because nobody names their kid fool, right? I mean, we might call our kids crazy. You know, I call Anastasia crazy all the time because she'll come running in and she'll have, well, just let her supper, you know, nice cooked rice. While I was at camp, I didn't have rice the whole week. I was like on withdrawals by the time I got back. And so we had like rice on like Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, you know, just like the rest of the week we've had only rice. <laughs> but like Anastasia will feed her rice and she'll be like, all done. And then we'll put her down and she'll like scavenge the whole dining room and the whole kitchen looking for a grain of rice that was from the previous day's rice that's now dried out. And then she'll pop that in her mouth, crunch, crunch, crunch. I'm like, what is wrong with you? And I'll call her crazy, you know? But this isn't like his nickname. This is like the story calling him foolish so that we realize this guy is a big fool. But he has a wise wife, a wife who is discerning, who has understanding, and who uses it to care for her family. Look at verse 2. There was a man in Moan whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife Abigail. She was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But the man, he was harsh and evil in his doings, and he was out of the house of Caleb. He's Judean, so he, uh, David, as he marries into this family, is probably gaining some sense of status. And that's probably why Judah, in part, proclaims him king earlier on than some of the other parts later on in the book of Samuel. But we are introduced to the guy, and we're not really sure why it begins with such a scathing review of this man. But as we work our way through the text, it becomes pretty obvious that this guy is really stupid. He doesn't pursue obedience to God. He doesn't pursue walking by faith. He pursues living by and walking by his own understanding and what he can see from a purely physical standpoint. And God is going to judge him for his failure to walk by faith. 
the story moves on, and as the story moves on, it tells us that David and his men, while they were in the wilderness, cared for Nabal's men and the many sheep that Nabal had. And so David hears that Nabal is shearing all his sheep, and it's a feast time. And so David sends his men to visit Nabal, and he says, Hey, we're 600 men out in the middle of the wilderness. We don't have, you know, all the delicacies from town. Would you please care for us by providing us with some food? Give us whatever you have. And Nabal's response is to insult and to tell David, you know, pretty much go fish. You know, like, I'm not giving it to you. So David's young men, um, sorry, verse 10. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who I do not know where they are from? What's he accusing David of? He says, David, you're in outright rebellion against King Saul. And there are lots of people that are running around the wilderness. And the reason why they're in the wilderness and they don't have the nice delicacies of town is... Because they're in rebellion against their master. And that's you to a T, David. I'm not giving you anything. And so not only has he refused him, but he's also insulted him and told him, Hey, you're in disobedience. You're not in God's will. And that's partially why I'm not going to do anything for you. And so he's epitomizing, he's demonstrating his foolishness, his lack of understanding David hears of the insult and falls into folly David instructs his men to prepare for battle so David hears about this and what is David's response in verse 13 then David said to his men Every man girded on his sword. So every man girded on his sword. And David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David. And 200 stayed with the supplies. David is about ready to march into war with 400 of his men. 200 of them taking care of whatever they have at camp. And he's going to march in and deal with Nabal who has been foolish. Unfortunately though... David is also walking in folly. He's not walking by wisdom. And he's going to be rebuked. Much like Saul was rebuked in chapter 24, and David comes out and gives a short little sermon to Saul. And, and Saul apparently is at least convicted a little bit. He's not convicted to change. But he realizes that David is speaking truth. And he says, you are more righteous than I. I have rewarded you with evil, and you've rewarded me with good. In the same way that David preaches a short little sermon to King Saul and it, it hurts Saul's heart but it doesn't lead him to change David now is the one who is pursuing folly at the beginning of this chapter the king in chapter 24 is pursuing folly he is rebuked and it leads him to change his actions for a day in chapter 25 the future king the anointed king 
the one who God has set apart to be king because he is a man who, who follows after God's own heart is also walking by his own understanding. And it really helps us to see why David is deserving of the crown. Because as David is rebuked and a sermon is told him, it changes his actions. And he repents. And he trusts in God to vindicate, to care for the situation, to justify him before those who have treated him wrongly. Wisdom is then displayed, though. And this is really through the lens of Abigail. Abigail is portrayed as the lady who is wise, who understands, who pursues wisdom and pursues what is right and what is good. And so Abigail acts with wisdom and provides for David and his men. A, a man comes to Abigail, one of the servants of Nabal, and in verse 14 says, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them. When we were in the fields, they were a wall to us both by night and day, all the time we were with them, keeping the sheep. It's interesting. What does Nabal accuse David of being? Well, he's, he's accused him of being a rebel, right? He's rebelled against his king, and that's why he's not going to give him anything. How many rebel with a band of 600 men in the middle of the wilderness who have completely rejected all authority from the states would watch a couple shepherds walk by with 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats, knowing that they're hungry and they haven't had those delicacies for a very long time, and be like, we're going to protect them and not take anything from them in return. Okay? We begin to see just how foolish Nabal was. His men knew who David was. They knew that he had a good character. He had a good testimony. And yet as they encounter the situation, they're like, we are, he's like, we're not going to care for them. And so Abigail hears about this and she acts with wisdom and she begins to seek to make amends to the situation. And so she instructs in verses 18 and following them to prepare a gift for David. And she sends that gift on ahead and she says, I'm going to come behind you and we're going to seek to appease the situation and to change this bad situation that we're in. And as she and he meet in verse 21, you see David's own folly. With David's own word as as he begins this encounter, he's already, even before the sermon really begins from Abigail. I'm calling her a sermon. It's not really a sermon. But, you know, same thing's true about 24. It wasn't really a sermon. But they're teaching a theological truth, right? They're pointing us to who God is. And the idea is, this is who God is in, verse, in chapter 24. God is a God who judges and so David's teaching that, and he says, this is how I'm going to respond. How are you going to respond, Saul? And as 25 rolls around, Abigail's reminding David of these same types of truths. You're seeking to avenge yourself. You're not following the sermon you preached in chapter 24. You're not walking by faith. You're not living by faith. You're pursuing folly. 
And so in verse 21, David acknowledges his own failure. Now David had said, surely in vain, I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all the things that belong to him, and he has repaid me evil for good. It's interesting. In chapter 24, Saul acknowledges that he's given him evil and David has done him good. You're having, you're having a lot of these similar ideas pop up. And here David has gotten evil, and what is he doing? He gave him good, and he's gotten evil. And now that he's getting evil back, what is he going to do? He's going to do evil. It's in direct contrast to what he did with Saul. And why did he do that with Saul? Because God is judge, and he can trust him, and he can walk by faith in relationship to that truth. But he's not walking by faith at the beginning of chapter 25. He's already forgotten the sermon that he preached in chapter 24. The same thing is so often true about you and I. It's true about me, right? I can get up on Sunday, I can preach and tell you God is just and God is good. And that you should walk by faith and live by faith. I can go home and immediately forget that sermon, forget those theological truths, and fail to walk by faith and live in light of those truths. I was talking with my sister on Thursday, and as we were talking about just Old Testament passages, um, we were just talking about the various themes that typically are in those. I'm like, like, all the Old Testament is just like, big idea is continuously walk by faith, walk by faith, walk by faith, live by faith, walk by faith. Like, there's little nuanced differences to them occasionally, but overwhelmingly it's just like repeated over and over again. Walk by faith, walk by faith. And why is that? It's because we are just like David. He preached the theological truth. He lived it out so well in chapter 24. He confronted Saul and he told him, you are not walking by faith. You are not living in light of who you know God to be, that he is a judge and that he does what is right. And I'm going to choose to live by faith. I'm going to choose to do what is right. And then chapter 25 rolls around and we don't know how long exactly it's been. What's happening? David is not living out the truth that he taught us in the previous chapter. It is so easy for you and for me to come to church to hear the theological truth, to go, isn't that exciting? Isn't that cool? God is judge. He is good. We can trust him. We can live by faith because of who he is. We can even call somebody else out in the pew next to us. As we're talking, <laughs> as we're talking after church. Or maybe you called your spouse out earlier today, you know. But then what happens? We are so prone to go back and fail to walk by faith ourselves. And I think that's why the big idea really is, you know, walk by faith. And it, it points to the wisdom and folly is there, but overarching all of that is this idea that you and I have to walk by faith. And it's so easy for us to fail to do that. Abigail responds and she demonstrates humility and she demonstrates 
wisdom and her response to David. She fell on her face. It's once again, I mean, what does David do as he confronts Saul in chapter 24? He falls on his face. He calls her, my Lord, the Lord's anointed, my father. And notice how she approaches him. She's demonstrating the same type of humility and understanding of who God is. And that is really characterizing her approach to David. She comes, she bows down her face, and she says, On me, my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. He's a fool. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourselves with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. And now, this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will clearly make for my Lord an enduring house. What is she promising him? God's going to vindicate you. God is going to fulfill his promises that he's made to you. Don't flaw your character by this sin. Because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. <clears throat> and the idea is, if you do this, evil will be found in you. Because this is a horrible evil that you're planning to do. This is, this is a paramount demonstration of you walking by your own understanding and not walking by faith. Don't do this, David. Walk by wisdom. Walk by faith. Pursue God. Don't pursue your own understanding. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life, but the life of my Lord shall be found in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling, and it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that his will be no grief, that this will be no grief to you, nor offense of hearts to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause, or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. And so Abigail demonstrates her humility, and she demonstrates her wisdom, and she points David to truth. She says, don't walk in folly. Don't walk in your own understanding. Walk and follow after God. Fear God. Trust that God will fulfill his promises to you. He's promised to make you king. Which is a promise that he's going to in some way vindicate you. In some way make this all right. And don't put that all on the line. Just to take vengeance on a fool like Nabal. It's not worth it. And as she confronts him with wisdom and confronts him with faith, what does David choose to do? How does David respond? He has two options, and he's begun walking down the path of folly. 
That's what's portrayed at the beginning. It's folly. It's, it's navel. And that's one option. He can choose to live in his own understanding, his own abilities. Or on the other hand, he can choose to return to the theological truth that he himself so eloquently and so passionately presented to King Saul in chapter 24. That God is judge and he will vindicate him. And which path is David going to choose? And more importantly, which path are you going to choose this week? And what the text teaches us is that God's servants choose wisdom. God's servants choose wisdom. They choose to follow after and pursue after obedience and faithfulness to God. Look at David's response in verses 32 and following. God's servant here is choosing wisdom. He is choosing to follow after God. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice. And blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought to him and said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. David is confronted with the danger of asserting God's position. That's really what she's saying, isn't it? David, what you're in danger of doing right now is asserting that you are in God's place. You're about ready to walk in folly. And every time you or I walk in folly, what we're really doing is we're saying, you know what, God? I've got this. I actually understand this situation a whole lot better than you do. I've, you know, calculated all the various factors, and I have immediately processed all the factors that, you know, you brought into my life. And I actually have a better understanding, a better grasp of how to deal with the situation than you do. So I've got this. I'll sit on the throne today, and you can take a holiday. You know, you worked hard, really, yesterday, so today I'm going to just take care of this one. And what she's saying is, don't do that. Trust God. Live by faith. Follow him in obedience. Trust him to vindicate those who pursue wisdom. And as David is confronted, he thanks her for modeling wisdom. Now my initial response when I'm confronted with truth is not to be as gracious as David is in this chapter. Right? typically takes me at least a few minutes to kind of process the fact that I've just been called out for my wrong and to be be humble enough to actually go to somebody and be like you know yeah um, I was completely living in folly and my own understanding and I was failing to live in wisdom and walking by faith and, and thank you for pointing that out to me but that's David's response he chooses wisdom but he also thanks the person who is willing to come to him and confronts the anointed king of Israel. 
That's pretty crazy. I mean, this guy's going to have a really high position of authority, and yet he demonstrates <coughs> extreme wisdom, not only in his actions that he's been confronted about, but in how he reacts to the confrontation. And then David receives the gift and acknowledges her petition. She's asked, hey, I know that God's going to vindicate you if you do what is right here. If you choose to walk by faith, if you choose to live in wisdom, God will take care of the situation. And so when God takes care of the situation for you, don't forget about your maidservant. Care for me. David says, okay. Beginning of our time together this morning, I told you that God relates to folly and he is going to reward folly. But I also told you that God rewards wisdom. And so what does that look like? The reward for wisdom and folly is then described in the following verses. In verse 36, Abigail goes home and after she gets home, she finds her foolish husband drunk. And so she's like, I'm not going to tell him right now about what's happened. I'm going to wait till the morning when the wine's out of him and he's a little sober. And we can kind of, you know, have a reasonable discussion about this whole situation. And when she tells him, his heart turns to stone. We don't know exactly what that means. Perhaps he had a stroke. Perhaps something else happened. We don't really know. But it leads to 10 days later, Nabal dies. And that means that God has, pretty quickly, in the course of less than two weeks, he has avenged David of the evil that Nabal did to him at the beginning of chapter 25. And as David hears about God's faithfulness and deliverance from his own folly, he praises God and he acknowledges that God has cared for him. Look at verse 39. So when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. David has been avenged. And he didn't have to do it. Why? Because he chose to walk by faith. God has cared for him and provided for him. So how are you and I going to respond to the call for each of us to live by wisdom this week, to walk by faith this week? The danger of folly is really, really bad. I'm not suggesting that if you go and fail to walk by faith in one area today that you know, and 10 days later, next, you know, two Wednesdays from now, you're going to be dead. Having suffered from a stroke or something else for 10 days. That's not what I'm suggesting. Could be. It's not, you know, that doesn't normally how it happens. Because if so, we'd all be dead by now. Right? But God is faithful, and he avenges. And when we fail to walk by faith, and when we choose to live in our own understanding... God takes that very seriously. Because it's actually asserting that we know better than him. And that we're going to just take control for the day. 
And God doesn't look favorably upon that. But God also cares for Abigail. And in our, in our Western mind and in our New Testament understanding, you know, revelation is progressive. What do I mean by that? What you and I know about how God wants us to live is greater, there's more to it than what David knew. Okay? So Revelation is progressive. David had multiple wives, which was folly. Previously in the Old Testament, before David became kings, there's already been warnings and cautions about the dangers of acquiring multiple wives and great wealth for the kings. We've looked at that passage a while back, and we've referenced it, especially in relationship to Saul, early on in our study of 1 Samuel. But Abigail joins the royal court, and she acquires the protection of the royal court. It's not really the royal court yet, but it will be. And David also acquires a wise counselor. Because Abigail is wise. There are not many wives that, when they see their foolish husband respond in this way, would be willing to go behind their back and find protection and rebuke somebody who is also walking in folly at that moment. Right? I am not going to go tell somebody that's coming with 400 men and a swords. And that's, you know, all I have is a bunch of food. Five sheep and, you know, a bunch of raisins and cakes and grain. Hey, you know, that's, that's really stupid. God would not be happy with you. You know, <laughs> he's going to kill me, take it, and then go kill Nabal too, right? But he acquires a wise counselor and she acquires the protection that comes with his future royal court. God cares for each of them. God rewards wisdom. And God rewards folly. But it's not a good reward. It's judgment. And so as we think about 1 Samuel 25, and we think about all of this, where do you go for wisdom? Where do you go for wisdom? And as, as we looked at, you know, Proverbs chapter 3 in our scripture reading, what does it tell us the beginning of wisdom is? It's the fear of the Lord. It's an understanding of who God is. It it's really means you understand the character of God. And as you understand the character of God and you flush that out and you think through the various attributes and characteristics of our God and you say, our God is holy, our God is just, our God is loving, our God is omnipresent, and you, you flush out all the various things we know about who our God is, each one of them requires that we live in some way in light of that new knowledge we have of who our God is. And so for you and I to live in wisdom, where do we go for wisdom? I think we really need to start with saying, who is my God? And then when we find out from, Genesis, or from 1 Samuel 24 that God is judge and he vindicates. When we look at our lives and our conscience begins to prick us and say, something's wrong here. 
God is judge. My conscience is pricking me about this issue. God is judge. How am I going to respond to a conscience that's pricking me? You should stop. Okay. In addition to that, and how we actually get an understanding of who our God is, is by faithfully meditating upon, faithfully reading God's word. And so, if you and I want to be people who are wise and people who walk by faith, it means that we need to meditate on God's word. We need to let God's word change our understanding. And then finally, wisdom allows grace for the trials of your life. David understands who God is. And he chooses to walk by faith. In 1 Samuel 24, David's situation has not drastically changed. He's still in the middle of the wilderness. He's walking by faith. And because he understands who God is and he believes and he's going to choose to live by faith, he's able to walk through immense trials and continue to pursue to honor God in the midst of a king who wants to kill him. In 1 Samuel 25, David has been insulted and reprimanded by a foolish man who wants to be a king, who will never be a king. Remember, he's throwing a party just like a king. Meanwhile, the future king is planning to kill him. Lots of irony in the story. Okay. But he's confronted with truth about who God is. And as he's confronted with truth, calls him to live by wisdom. It calls him to live by faith. And as he's confronted with that truth, it provides him with the grace and the ability to not immediately seek revenge on Nabal. And eventually God justifies the whole situation and makes it right by killing Nabal ten days later. Wisdom allows us the grace for the trials of this life. And so where are you and I going? How are you and I walking? Every day, we have to choose to walk by faith. And just like it's easy for David to fail to do that, it's very easy for you and I to one day preach an awesome sermon, have an awesome conversation with our spouse, have an awesome conversation with our coworker, our children. And then the very next day, fail to live that out. And what God's calling us to do each and every day is to walk by faith, to remind ourselves who is our God and how am I called to live in light of who he is. Let's go to the Lord in word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for its truthfulness. We thank you for the fact that you call us to live by faith and that you consistently, regularly remind us of the importance of of reflecting upon who you are and what you have done for us, that you sent your Son into the earth to die for our sins so that we can be forgiven of our past sins and so that we can have the grace that is necessary to face immense trials and as we face them, to walk by faith, to walk in wisdom in such a way that it's not us who receive the honor. It's not us who receive the glory. But all of it is reflected back to you. Because you're the one who saved us. 
and you're the one who preserves us in faith. In your name we pray. Amen. If you want to take, or you don't get to take them because you don't have them, but we're going to sing, um, Be Thou My Vision. We'll sing the second verse. It'll be on the, on the PowerPoint. <laughs> 